Hello and welcome to the latest podcast from the Lancet Infectious Diseases. I'm Sean Cleghorn and we've just published a paper assessing notifiable infections in Australia over a period of more than 20 years and how these infections are linked to socio-demographic factors. And I'm very happy to be joined by Dr. Catherine Gibney today, who is a doctor and epidemiologist and the lead author on the study. So Catherine, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Could you just tell us a little bit about what prompted you to do this study? This study was part of my PhD that I undertook at Monash University. And a large part of the PhD was dedicated to Australia's National Notifiable Diseases Surveillance System, or NNDSS. This system collates surveillance information from Australian states and territories for 65 nationally notifiable infectious diseases. The surveillance system began collecting data in 1991 and we had access to the first 21 years of this data, so from 91 to 2011. Having spent time writing about the system itself and summarising notification patterns over the 21 years, I was interested in performing an analysis looking at health inequities in infectious diseases in Australia. I'd already noticed that notification incidence was higher among Indigenous Australians or Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people compared to non-Indigenous Australians and also that notification incidence was higher in the Northern Territory where a lot of people live remotely. So these were two of the flags that sent me looking in more detail at this issue. And so what did you do in this study? The NNDSS data set contains case information such as age and sex, Indigenous status and postcode of residence and we were therefore able to calculate notification incidence by postcode for the eight most commonly notified diseases and we could examine the extent to which notification incidence was equal across the country. We also matched case notification data to additional data from the Australian Bureau of Statistics regarding remoteness which ranged from major cities to remote and very remote areas and also socioeconomic disadvantage based on postal areas. This allowed us to analyse the impact of remoteness and socioeconomic disadvantage on notification incidents for all nationally notifiable diseases, but also by disease groups such as gastrointestinal or sexually transmitted infections and for the most commonly notified infections. Finally, there were three jurisdictions, the Northern Territory, South Australia and Western Australia, that had pretty good reporting of Indigenous status of notified cases. And so for these three areas, we were able to look at the impact of Indigenous status on notification incidents. So you're looking at notification of infectious disease and how this relates to remote living and socioeconomic status. What did you find? Overall, both these factors were associated with higher notification incidence of infectious diseases. Notification incidence was 15% higher in the most socioeconomically disadvantaged areas compared to other areas. In comparison, notification incidence was more than three times higher among remote living Australians compared to those who lived in major cities or regional areas. Finally, for the areas where we could look at Indigenous status in our analysis, notification incidence was more than five times higher among Indigenous compared to non-Indigenous Australians. So you mentioned that you were looking at several disease groups and specific diseases. So what were the main headline findings from that? The disease group that stood out the most was sexually transmittable infections and they were the most overrepresented among remote living Australians. Notification incidence for gonococcal infection was 20 times higher in remote areas compared to cities or regional areas. Gastrointestinal infections were also more common in remote areas with salmonellosis incidence 3.5 times higher in remote compared to non-remote areas. Interestingly, remoteness wasn't strongly associated with increased notification incidence for vaccine-preventable diseases or bloodborne viral hepatitis, but 
Notification incidence was nearly twice as high for socioeconomic disadvantaged areas compared to other areas for bloodborne viral hepatitis. The difference for hepatitis B and C based on socioeconomic status did not lessen over the study period. It remained pretty high. So although you have these associations between infection and low socioeconomic status or remote living in some cases, are there some positive messages about infectious disease health in Australia from these data? Yeah, certainly. The most positive message was that overall the discrepancies in notification incidents between these groups did lessen over the study period. For example, from 1991 to 97, the notification incidence was seven times higher for Indigenous Australians and this fell to um, just over four times higher later in the study period from 2005 to 11. Although that's good news, clearly we still have a long way to go to eliminate these inequalities. Similarly, the proportion of all sexually transmitted cases that could be attributed to living remotely or living in a low socioeconomic area fell over the study period. Also, there are some disease groups and diseases for which we didn't detect marked inequities. For example, vaccine-preventable diseases were not more commonly notified in socioeconomically disadvantaged areas. And you know, this might be a good news message about Australia's national immunisation program that it actually is reaching children across all socioeconomic groups. How can you use these data then to improve public health in Australia? I think because this data covers all of Australia and for more than 20 years, it gives us a really good overview of the status of notifiable infectious diseases in Australia. It covers aspects like Indigenous status, although not for the whole of the country, but also remoteness and socioeconomic disadvantage. It does provide clear evidence that more needs to be done to eliminate disparities in the burden of infectious diseases in Australia. In particular, these results can let us focus our attention on remote living and Indigenous Australians for many disease groups, but particularly for sexually transmittable infections and gastrointestinal diseases. While for socioeconomic disadvantage, the focus should be on efforts to diagnose, treat and prevent transmission of hepatitis B and C. You already mentioned Indigenous health partly, but what messages are there for Indigenous health in particular? The main message is that we need to do more to close the gap between um, health outcomes for Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. We have demonstrated that there's been some progress in closing this gap and that's good, um, but we, we do need to close it completely. The approach, I think, needs to be multifaceted. It needs to involve Indigenous people and, and it needs to have sort of several levels of focus. If you start with the big picture, you're looking at upstream factors or social determinants of health that need to be addressed. And these are things like education, employment and adequate housing. And this really requires a very visionary and whole of government approach. If you look more at the specific public health programs that need to be maintained or strengthened, we really need to continue to support vaccination programs and other disease prevention programs. And an example of this is that recently influenza vaccine has been funded for Indigenous kids, which is a really positive step. Finally, if you're really looking just at the surveillance system, it's clear that we need to do a much better job at recording Indigenous status for all notifications and across the whole country so that we can really measure the gap in infectious disease notification incidents between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians and hopefully we can measure that gap closing completely. Why is there a difference between states in how they measure Indigenous status? I think it's how much effort the jurisdictions go to, to follow up Indigenous status. So, for instance, the Northern Territory is really good at recording Indigenous status, but about a quarter of their population is Indigenous and they have long recognised the public health issues that are associated with infectious diseases. I think the fact that a couple of other states are doing a good job indicates that really it can be at a much higher level nationally. And the Commonwealth Government has prioritised this and there are targets in place to try and improve Indigenous status notification across the country. 
and it is improving and hopefully this will eventually impact disease outcomes. Thank you very much. I'm afraid that's all we have time for. Dr Gibney, thank you.